Hey everybody, good morning. It's good to be with you in God's house. It's good to see uh, most of your whole faces. Um, so if you saw our Instagram post, we, I, I am um, probably because I was raised by hippies, I became a rule follower at some point in my life and finally became um, essentially just fed up with the city mandate. So we made a video and said, we're going to break the city mandate and tell you, you can take your masks off. And then the next day, the mayor and the CDC, so we can only deduce from that that the city listens to, to us rather than the other way around. So I'm really thankful that we're in a mask optional space and it just feels like uh, seeing your faces, it gives us an opportunity to move um, just a little more uh, down the road in terms of getting to, to spaces that feel more and more familiar to us. Let's turn to Loop 9. Uh, while you do that, I want to give you an, an update on our um, consultation process. Last week, I, I told you that we were going to be um, going to meet with the, our bishop was coming into town and our leadership team and um, our, our vestry representatives were going to be meet with this consultant. Um, if you haven't heard me say anything about that for the last three months, we've had uh, the privilege of, of bringing on a, a godly man who's helping us look under the hood and to, to discern the way to best serve you uh, and to best lead this church uh, as we move, hopefully, God willing, out of a season of massive disruption, the pandemic, all that kind of stuff. And so we spent a lot of time this week working on that, and I want to give you a few short updates. Uh, he gave us a, I think it's a 42-page document from um, essentially like 30 to 40 different individual conversations. And a couple of the takeaways that I, I would ask you to be praying about and to be thinking about um, are these. Uh, our staff is uh, threadbare. Um, we are at a point to where I think morale has, is lower than it has been. And some of that is because of the last two and a half or so years of COVID and all the stuff that's happened in the church. Um, but some of that is because I haven't done a good job leading our, our staff and team in many respects over the last couple of years. And again, I can say that, and I think there's truth to the fact that the pandemic has been massively upheaving. But I've sat and stood in front of you over the last couple of months and said that one of the things that I was really invited to sit with during this time away, um, you know, seeking counsel and spiritual direction and resting and just kind of getting out of the grind was that I know that some anxiety and kind of unresolved emotional stuff in me was causing and contributing to me um, not being as present and as engaged under the hood here feels like a very different space. This feels very native to me. Um, but the kind of under the hood complexity and leading in some of those environments, I know that some of my own stuff, and then, you know, what happens with a place in a season like COVID is it just puts, you know, fuel and gasoline on stuff that was already there that probably would have been a much slower burn. And so a lot of this season has been now asking questions around specifically like how do my gifts and temperament fit a church that's no longer a church that meets in a living room? I mean, when we started this thing 20 years ago, we, we were in a circle in a living room and now we've got multiple congregations and a staff of over 20 people. And that's a very different thing. I remember hearing uh, Peter Drucker, who was a, a business consultant guy said that for every 30% of growth in an organization, you've got to rethink your job description. Y'all, we, we can't even count the number of 30 percentage of growth. I mean, it's, it's mind blowing. We, we've gone from one thing to something that is essentially unrecognizable to that. So aside from all the like, Chris, you know, my 
contending with my own kind of insecurity and inadequacy and anxiety that I didn't really know I had. And now I feel like I'm in a really settled place. And then COVID, then you throw into that just founder's dilemma. Like, what do you do when, when you lead a thing and it becomes something very different from what it was? And yet the thing it's become is still beautiful. Like I look at this church and just think like, what a place. I just couldn't imagine like a better, more wonderful group of people. And we, we've been winnowed over the last couple of years. I mean, people have left our church because we're too progressive, too conservative, too interested in mass, not interested in mass enough, care too much about race, don't care enough about race. I mean, this has been a kind of like, it's been a, a rough time, not just for Trinity, but for the church writ large. Like, you know, we're not that unique in some ways. Maybe that's the gift in all this. So a lot of questions are being asked around how I'm supposed to lead, what my leadership looks like going forward in this church and how my gifts fit this place. And, and even some of the places where maybe my gifts don't fit as well. And I just think the best posture to be in those spaces is to sit and before God and the community of people and hold our hands open and say, the Lord knows. If I know anything about Trinity now, it's that Trinity is a church that Jesus really loves and that there's a future and a hope that is going to be not just okay, but really, really good. And I think a, a future and a hope that fits how we all are wired and how we show up to the, to the party, if you will. And so the next steps are going to be lots of kind of under the hood conversations, uh, the places admittedly where I'm not as talented or as animated. And yet now is the time for us to say together, how do we figure it out? So our vestry, our leadership team, <laughs> our bishop, but he's going away on sabbatical in four days and he'll be gone for five months. And so maybe less him, uh, but he'll, he'll for sure be with us in spirit and probably throw TJ, our other bishop, into the mix a little bit. And so I just want to ask you to pray. My, I think one of the things that we've, we've not done a good job of is just telling you stuff like I just told you. And it's not because we, we didn't want to tell you. It's sometimes you just don't know how to talk about things that don't feel super resolved. You know, it's like everybody likes things to all <laughs> feel really tidy. My commitment to you is just going to be to tell you this stuff. Um, so that you can be praying and you can be asking God for his help. I know the Lord has something really good for us in this church. I love this church. Um, I know our leadership team and our vestry and our bishop, we, we want what God wants. So pray for us um, as we move forward and we step into what God has for us. Uh, I think he's got good plans. I'm going to read verse 28 um, to 36 in Luke 9. Now, about eight days after saying these things, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to them. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now, Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. So that's like Peter didn't know what to say, but he said something anyway. He's, he's the patron saint of you who struggle with that. Uh, he's my patron saint. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified, and they entered as they entered the cloud. And then from the cloud came a voice that said, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. 
When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone and they kept silent and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the mountain of transfiguration. We pray, God, that as we enter into all of our own little mini darknesses, our own valleys, God, just like Peter and James and John and Jesus went down the mountain into the valley, I pray that we would carry clarity about who you really are, Jesus, into places where it doesn't seem so clear. Have mercy on us, we pray, God, as we enter this Lenten season in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think that Lent and Easter are probably the most meaningful things that I have picked up in my Christian journey upon entering the Anglican Church. I did not grow up as an Anglican um, or an Episcopalian. I didn't grow up in the liturgical world. Um, I was named after Chris Christofferson. My family are, uh, were card-carrying, drug-dealing hippies. And so when they found the Lord, it was all very non-traditional. So no clue about this stuff as, as a young person. And so when I stepped into the Anglican world, I think one of the things that moved my heart the most was this idea of intentionally entering the wilderness so as to get ready for Easter. On Wednesday, we are going to be gathering here. Um, Brad said at night, um, we will be at night, but also at 7.30 in the morning and at noon, three times during the day, and we're going to make uh, an ashen cross on your forehead, and we're going to tell you that you're going to die. And nobody does that. Nobody wants to think about death. But the invitation here is to recognize our finitude, our fragility, and our vulnerability, and, and symbolically follow Jesus into the wilderness and wander there, live in uncertainty for 40 days until we hit the beauty of the power of the resurrection of Easter. If we always rush to Easter and we don't enter the wilderness, then Easter means less to us. There's this invitation to actually choose to enter the wilderness, and that's what Lent is about. It's a, it's a volitional choice to enter into uncertain places so that the clarity and beauty of resurrection will actually mean something to us. And in that sense, I think that we're in a really timely space. I think this is a really timely invitation for all of us. So Lent is 40 days, but it actually nets out to 46 because whatever you give up in fasting, you pick that thing back up on Sundays. The church decided many, 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 many hundreds of years ago that every Sunday is a miniature Easter, that we celebrate the resurrection. So you celebrate on Sunday, even during the wilderness. And it's one of the things that I actually love because it reminds me that even in my wandering and in my uncertainty, I'm never that far away from the life that Jesus has in the resurrection. It's just a beautiful, symbolic and textured thing. I get to, I get to revel in resurrection even when I I'm lost in the woods. And maybe today you feel a little bit lost in the woods. Lent is a wonderful time to be intentional about that. So during Lent, we eat a little less or engage social media maybe a little bit less. We pray a little more. We repent of our sins. Uh, we look inward rather than just externalizing everything. It's just an opportunity to, to quiet things down just a little bit. And I hope you'll join us. So here's how this text applies. Um, the, the beauty of the tradition that we're a part of always before Lent puts the transfiguration in front of us so that we will walk into the woods with a clear picture of Jesus. So that when you go down the mountain, you're going to remember who Jesus is. 
So that's what we're going to do today. It's very instructive before we look at a few things in this text that I think Jesus wants us to see, to, to remember this. Jesus took James and John and Peter up on a mountain. He got them out of their normal environment so that they could see something that they would not otherwise be able to see. And I would say to you that there are times in your life where you're gonna have to get out of your normal environment, out of your normal routine, out of your normal habit in order to see with fresh perspective. If you always do the same thing, if you're always in the reactive grind, you'll miss some of the clarity that we see on the mountain of transfiguration. God wants you to take responsibility for going up on mountains, metaphorically speaking, maybe literally climbing a mountain every now and again. I, I tend to find him up there. Um, can't live up there, but you sure can go there from time to time. So with that in mind, your job, get out of your environment to see Jesus in new ways. We're going to say what we see. Number one, Jesus is transfigured. The word in the Greek language means he is changed. And here's how I used to think of it. As a young Christian, I, I thought he took them up on a mountain and he sort of like flexed his Jesusness, you know, like turned himself up and then it was like the light bulb got brighter but the word and the way that we are meant to understand this is Jesus does not flex himself here he does not expand himself what he does is he simply pulls a curtain back so that they would see who it is they've always been dealing with and what they see is glory what they see is overwhelming light what they see is power radiating from within, not shining on him from without. And I believe that one of the invitations for us, especially as we enter into seasons of uncertainty or wilderness wandering, is to be very clear about who it is that we serve. Jesus is full of light. Jesus is full of power. Jesus does not have to flex himself to get you through something. He is and there are times where he will show us who he is. The disciples were about to enter into remarkable uncertainty and they needed to know who Jesus was. If you are facing uncertainty, you need to know who Jesus is. This Jesus, the mountain of transfiguration Jesus, that's who he always is. And so when we pray to him, that's who we're praying to. Not a weak and wishy-washy guy not someone who feels outmatched by what's going on in your life. We pray, we worship, we follow a Jesus who is full of light and power. The problem is we don't always imagine him that way. We don't always think of him that way. Transfiguration teaches us this is who he is. Peter, James, and John walked down the mountain with a clearer vision of who it was that they'd been hanging out with all the time. And maybe today we need the same thing. Maybe in this season in the life of the world, we need the same thing. The second thing we see is that Moses and Elijah appear. And it's one of the reasons why I love this text, because it's super weird. Like, do they really appear? Um, was it just like theological, you know? I, I've heard scholars say, you know, Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. And so the law and the prophets come together to affirm who Jesus is. But I think they were actually on the mountain. 
Like that's probably true that the law and the prophets are, are, are wrapped up in this encounter. But um, the text itself would suggest that, I mean, if Jesus can be dazzling white, then God can like manage to bring Moses and Elijah down to chill with him for a little bit. Like, let's not just like stop. If we're going to be biblical, um, serious Bible people, we have to actually take supernatural stuff seriously. So I believe that Moses and Elijah were on the mountain with Jesus, James, John, and Peter. And they are the all-star team. I mean, this is a big deal. And for Peter and James and John, um, so Peter would, Peter's going to be killed uh, relatively soon. James is going to be killed relatively soon. John's going to be the only one that lives to an old age, but he's going to be boiled alive in oil and exiled on an island of Patmos covered in scars when he has the revelation. These guys are going to pay something for this. And they needed to see Jesus standing in their tradition. And they needed to know something was going to happen and it was going to be God-driven. And so they're on this mountain together. And Luke's gospel is the only gospel that really tells us what they were talking about. The departure, it says. The departure in the Greek language, the, the words in our English that are translated, the departure um, in Greek come from Hebrew language, and the word for that is exodus. Moses knew something about the exodus. Jews know something about the exodus. And they got together, and of all the things that they would be talking about, they were talking about the exodus, the new exodus that Jesus would lead. Moses, as the leader of the first exodus, goes and speaks to Jesus with the prophetic tradition beside him and says, you are leading a new exodus. And that leads me to the third thing that I think is really important for us to see, which is that we in the Lenten season, we as followers of Jesus are a part of, and the, the power is made available to us to enter into a new exodus. Where are you less than free? Jesus has something to say about that. Where are you living in bondage in some way, some form or fashion? Jesus has come to lead a new exodus. That's the purpose, not just of Lent, is that we would move into places of freedom through introspection and repentance, but it's the purpose of following Jesus in the first place. He has come, as Corinthian, the text just said, he has come that you may be free. And Moses and Jesus, Elijah, they came to talk about freedom for you. Where do you need to be free? Where's sin or fear or old thinking? Where has it got into your bones and where is it stuck there? Jesus has something to say about that. He wants you to be free. And this Lenten journey is an opportunity for us to recognize that we have to move in order to be free. And my mind has been uh, with Moses lately. 
um, because Moses had to lead people out as a kind of precursor to Jesus, right? Like Moses, Jesus is the second Moses. He's, he does um, for everyone for all time what Moses did for a people at one time. But even Moses as a, a finite, fragile man himself had to lead the Israelites out of bondage after the massive, powerful hand of God. And then he led them toward an impossible barrier, the Red Sea. And Moses had no idea. Imagine what Moses is thinking. He's like, I'm moving but that doesn't look great. And that looks really bad. There's an army behind me and there's a, an obstacle in front of me. And maybe today you're living in a place in your life to where you feel like there's an army behind me and an obstacle in front of me. What do I do? Well, I just want to say you're in really good Jewish Christian company. Every time we walk out of anything that helps, that makes us feel stuck or a place of bondage, we feel a pursuant behind us and an obstacle in front of us that is intrinsic to the human condition. Welcome to the club. God is a way maker. Jesus is a way maker. Moses saw God part a sea. Jesus parts a sea of impossibility that goes beyond a body of water. He does for us for all time what Moses did for one people at one time. And that's what they were talking about. You want to know what Jesus is talking about? He's talking about that when he thinks about you and me. So where do you need to be free where do you need a, a barrier to be parted? Is it a relationship? Is it an addiction? Is it a pattern of thinking? Jesus wants freedom for you. The fourth thing we see is that Peter wants to keep the clarity. And we throw, you know, we, we, Peter's easy to pick on in the Bible. Um, you know, he doesn't know what to say, so he says something anyway, you know. And so what Peter does is, like, the text is really beautiful here because the th it's over. Um, like, they've done their thing. They've had their conversation, and it's, like, done. And then Peter goes, this is great. I'm going to build some stuff, and we're going to just stay up here. And rather than pick on Peter, I think we should just find ourselves in Peter. All Peter wanted was to say, this feels really clear, and I want to stay somewhere where it feels really clear. He's like, I see it now, and I just think we should stay here. And that teaches me really two things about, about this that we need to learn. Number one, God is occasionally really clear. And number two, we wish it were always that way. And so Peter starts talking because he just wants to prolong the experience. You can't live on the mountain. You, you need to go there, but you can't live there. The wind is too bad up there. It's it's not meant to be forever. I, I grew up in the charismatic church. We, we spent our whole life trying to just live on the mountain, like live in the ecstatic. And there's, you got to go to the mountain, but you can't live there. What Jesus wanted was to say, we've got to see here and then we need to go and we need to be faithful down here. And then we'll go back, but we got to come down. Kevin Kenny, founder of Driving and Crying, one of my favorite bands from my high school and college days once wrote a song that said, I'm coming down from the mountain. I have seen the lofty glory. I will go again someday, but for now I'm coming down. And he's a total heathen. <laughs> but he's right. And here's where it ends. Jesus is alone. The all-stars are gone. The buildings were not built. It was just Jesus. 
And so for Peter and for James and for John, the reality is they wanted all of it to stay. And what they get is Jesus saying, would you follow me down the mountain into some uncertain places? And so if you're headed into uncertain places, just do your best to go there with Jesus. Lent is a great time for us to think it through. So I'm getting better at my um, SELA, post-burnout SELA moments. I actually made a slide today, so I'm very proud of myself. Um, I'm a very extemporaneous person, so I usually make these things up on the spot. Well, I actually spent some time thinking about them today, and that doesn't mean they're going to be better, but you'll at least get to see them. So I want us to enter into a space of being as settled as we can. If you have a a journal or a note uh, app on your phone, maybe that's an opportunity to get it out. I want us to spend about three minutes asking these two questions. How do we plan to participate? How is God inviting us to participate in this Lenten season? And just thinking it through, you know, we'll keep it from slipping away from you. So it's just an opportunity to just say, Lord, where do I feel invited? I don't think God's going to, well, he might, you know, speak to you in some very explicit and profound way, but he might just give you a sense of a nudge. Oh, maybe I'll give that up or maybe I'll carve out that time. So do some reflection there. And then this is where it gets, you know, really real. Where do you long for a new exodus? Where, where, where would you ask God to help move you from bondage into freedom? And that, that requires some like real thinking, some real reflecting. So we're going to spend a few minutes doing this. And then I'll come up and we'll move toward the communion table. So for now, let's just be as still as we can and try to think some deep, deep thoughts.
I just had this thought over there, so it could be really bad. Um, or really good, you never know. Um, that's the adventure. Um, I, I would like to hear from you if these quiet spaces have been either really helpful or, frankly, not helpful. Um, because this is a, a kind of experiment to try to get our hearts to settle, and yet you never know. Um, the, the problem with being a pastor is that you're all looking at me um, from a distance, and, you know, I usually uh, have no idea what's going on most of the time. Um, and so I would love to hear from you. And it probably means like if 50 of you write, you know, Katie and I will have a lot of work um, to do. So we're not probably able, going to be able to get into like deep dialogue with you, but we, I would like to hear from you just because we're really trying to be sensitive to what the Lord's doing. And this feels like it's worth exploring, but I, I would love to hear. So Chris at atltrinity.org, Chris with a K after Chris Christofferson. Remember that guy. Janice Joplin did not write me and Bobby McGee. Chris Christofferson wrote me and Bobby McGee. And if you're young, just listen to it because it, it, me and Bobby McGee is actually a country song. Um, if you're able to stand together. <laughs> <laughs>